0: You know, out in front of this building, there's a sign that says Tri-Cities Church. And you can drive up the street and you can see all different church buildings with their names out in front of them. But when we read in the scriptures, the thing that we begin to see is that the church is not a building. It's a people. And so we can pretty the building up and we can get this space right. So that it's a place that we can meet in and feel comfortable in. Um, But if we're not doing something else, right, if we're not getting our lives right, if we're not together as a community growing up in our faith, if we aren't living authentically with one another and challenging each other to walk into our faith, if we're not taking our small groups, our city groups, seriously, where we're walking with one another and speaking into each other's life, if we're not reading the scriptures, if we're not praying to the Lord God Almighty, if we aren't spending this time in prayer and in song before the Lord, then we aren't the church getting ready for the coming of Christ. That song calls us to be that church, not to be a building, but to be a people who are being the church every day and who are walking into our faith and that are living into the holiness that we've been freed for in Jesus Christ. You know, this is one of my great joys of gathering with Tri-Cities Church every Sunday morning is that we get to come into this place and we get to see one another and we get to join with each other in the journey that God has us in in our lives. And the joy is that we can look out over this room. And I have a, a kind of an advantage, a view where we can look out of this room. And I know a lot of the stories in this room. And you know a lot of the stories in this room as well. And you know that we are all at different places in our faith. Um, but we're headed in the same direction. You know, the Bible talks about in Hebrews... Um, there is, and they they finished up a little bit early, so I I feel like I got a little bit of free time to talk. Um, The Bible talks about in Hebrews this cloud of witnesses, right? These people that have gone before us that are standing there cheering us on as though we're running this marathon of faith, and the Bible talks about that cloud of witnesses, and we think about Moses and Noah and Abraham and all these Old Testament biblical characters, Um, but I believe we become a part of that cloud of witnesses that no matter where we are in the journey, we look back and we grab hold of somebody else's hand and say, come on, you can do it. And we look forward and we grab hold of somebody else's hand and we get encouragement from them as we run this race uh, together, as we are the church that's being prepared for Christ to come. Amen? Hey, well, welcome to Tri-Cities Church. I'm Wesley. I'm one of the pastors here at Tri-Cities Church. I have the uh, joy of being able to preach uh, most Sundays at Tri-Cities Church and really just opening the scriptures so that we together can understand how God has been challenging his people through his word over the course of thousands of years, and it's just you know, there's, there's no other community that's like the church, right, that can be rooted in such a history and a power that created this world and is now making all things new beginning with us, like making all things new through us. There's no other community like that. There are community groups. Um, there are people who organize social clubs and all those different kinds of things. But there's no kind of community like the church that is together together um, fellowshipping with, living in communion with the God of creation, and having him shape us and mold us into what he created us to be. So if this is your first time here, we do welcome you to this community, to the church, the people, not the building, um, but to this community, and welcome you in this community to be a part of it. Hey, in the seats in front of you, there are carts, uh, uh, connection cards, if that's just one of our ways of connecting here at Tri-Cities Church. If you, um, if you've, if this is your first time here, we'd love for you to fill out one of those. We'd love for you to fill out just whatever information you feel comfortable filling out. We just love to know you're here and to be praying for you. Um, but also, if you've been here before, you know uh, the drill on the back of those cards. There's an opportunity for you to write anything that's going on in your life that you want us to be praying for with you uh, on those cards. And you can put them in these buckets that are on the table after the message when we share in communion. And we would love to be um, joining you in prayer in your life. Um, Well, we are continuing a series. This is our second week in a series. It's a relationship series uh, where um, we're calling it Living in the Sweet Spot, and we're seeing, uh, well, at least we saw last week, um, that there is no such thing as an attainable sweet spot in this life, right? There's no perfect relationship. There's no quick fix. There's no way that you can make your relationships right, and they'll be right forever, Um, but there is a sweet spot, and that's the will of God, And so we're looking at how we can live into the will of God because that's the best place for us to live. In the will of God, there are God's blessings, there's God's protection, there's God's provision In the will of God, God is holding us safely in his care, and we know that the end, right, will be worth the journey. So we know that though we face hardships and obstacles in our relationships, in this life, that as long as we're rooting our lives in the will of God, that we will make it to that space where we dwell forever with the God of creation in perfection, in holiness, with all things being made right. And so that's the sweet spot. Let's, um, let's pray, and, and then we'll get into our message for this morning. Uh, God, we do give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to gather in this place as your church and to look to you, the one who calls us and draws us unto yourself. God, I pray that you will draw us unto yourself, that you will help us to look more like you, to live and walk in holiness. God, I pray that your hand will be upon us and that we will feel your presence even in this building, that as we gather as the church, God, that we will see ourselves as gathering for a much greater purpose than just a community of people that like each other and are friends with each other, but that we are actually living into your will and seeing your work done through us on a day-to-day basis. And this time that we gather here is for us to be equipped, for us to be resourced, for us to be encouraged so that when we walk out those doors, we may represent you and represent you well. God, we thank you for that opportunity, that burden and responsibility you've placed upon us. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, last week, um, we began with the question in this series, what's God's will for my relationships, right? And we saw that God created us to live in relationship with one another. And so God's will is for us to prioritize our relationships. That's to put our relationships first, to work hard at our relationships, because that's one of the ways that we live into the image of God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, it says God created us in his own image, and God is a deeply relational God. And so God wants us to elevate our relationships, not because there's something that we gain from our relationships, right? God wants us to elevate our relationships not just because we love the person that we're in relationship with. God wants us to elevate our relationships just because life's easier that way, or we don't want to hurt the people uh, that we're in a relationship with. God wants us to elevate our relationships because it's one of the primary ways that we glorify God in this world. And we saw that how oftentimes in our society, at least this is the way the world teaches us, right? This is what happens, right? Our relationships become uh, something that add value to our own lives, and we seek relationships that add value to our own lives. So whether it's marriage, and maybe you've been through this with the dating experience, and you go, nah, not her, nah, not not her, nah, not him, you know, you you go on a couple of dates, and you find out that it just can't work, and you can't see yourself being with that person for the rest of your life. You're just kind of testing out the waters to see if that person will work or not, and then you find out what works, what doesn't, and then hopefully, or then maybe, you settle down with a person after a course of time that you feel like you could spend the rest of your life with, and maybe you get to that altar, and then afterwards, this this tension in the years that follow begins to come up, and you begin to realize there's no such thing as a perfect relationship. Uh, but oftentimes what, what ends up happening is we treat our relationships as though they're disposable and we'll jump from one to another, whether that's marriage or whether it's friendship or even in the workplace. Sometimes when we have tension in the workplace with a coworker, we'll begin looking for a new job just because we can't stand going to work and looking at Bob or looking at whoever that you work with that sits in the cubicle across from you. Um, because relationships create all kinds of tension, and when they, we experience that tension, we want to get out of them. But what God shows us in the scriptures from the very beginning is that God created us to prioritize our relationships. We glorify him when we do that. We can't afford to treat our relationships as disposable because when we do that, we're rejecting God's will for our relationships. Now this morning, I want us to look at a much broader question than what's God's will for my relationships, and that's what's God's will for my life, right? What's God's will For my life. Because here's the thing the Bible teaches us that God has a will for every human's life. And that that will of God is common for all of us. And here's what God does. Um, And I think this is so important for us to see um, because because it's difficult for us to think the way God thinks. Oftentimes in our lives, we silo our lives into different categories, right? So we have this finance category over here where this is my finance, this is my budget, my spending, that kind of thing. Uh, And then maybe we have a relationship category over here, and these are my relationships, uh, these are the people that I like, these are the people I roll with, this is the person I'm married with, that that kind of stuff. Uh, And then maybe we have this work category where this is my job, like this is what I have to do to make money. Uh, And and then maybe maybe there's a church category there's these different categories, church category. This is what God has called me to do, to be a part of a church. My mama told me I needed to go to church if I wanted God to bless me. And so I go to church. And so we, we end up siloing our lives off, right? We, we end up breaking our lives up into different categories uh, that, that don't interact with one another. So what I do in my relationships may not be informed by my faith, but it's rather informed by what I believe makes for a healthy relationship. And what I do at work may not be informed by the way I handle my relationships or what I do at home may be totally different than what I do at work. And and we end up being uh, different people in different Environments, um, because we've siloed our lives off. Now, what the Bible teaches us, though, is God doesn't think like that, right? God sees that all these things interact. That our relationships, and our finances, and our work life, and our home life, and our family life, and uh, and, and all these things are kind of interacting with one another. And the silo thing actually doesn't work. But one affects the other. And so, the Bible says that God has a will for our life, and we got to ask that big question: What's God's will for my life? in order to fully understand God's will for your relationships. And so if we refuse to silo our lives off, we have to look at God's will for our lives. Now, the Bible teaches us this, that God's will for every human being is that we respond to Jesus and become more like him. God's will for every single human being is that we respond to Jesus and we become more like him. That is, that we turn away from um, the rebellion that humans, that creation has found itself in, that is not doing the will of God. We turn away from the rebellion, we reject the rebellion. We recognize that we are inherently rebellious people as people born in this world, that if we follow our own ways, it won't lead us in the way of God. That's that we let go of the rebellion, that we turn away from that, we turn to God, and we become like Christ. That means we head in a different direction. So we're letting go, we're turning to, and we're heading in a different direction. Now, the biblical words for those that, 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 that um, process of repentance and, and sanctification. Now repentance literally means, um, it, it, the, the Greek word is metanoia. And the only reason I tell you that is because I think you can, you can kind of jive with some of the English words we get from that. Uh, metanoia, meta, it's kind of a compound word. Meta being uh, a metamorphosis. Um, it means like to change, right? We get an English word metamorphosis from that. So this change, so it means to change. And then noia, uh, um, um, kind of knowledge comes, gnosis, knowledge comes from that word. So it's this um, not, not a change of knowledge, but a, really a change of mind, right? A, a change in the way that we're thinking. And so this word uh, repentance is this change in the way that we're thinking about life, right? It's this turning away from a thought pattern that has ruled and dominated human beings for generation upon generation. It's the thought pattern of Adam and Eve, right? That there's a better way than God's way. And all of us are ruled by that thought pattern. And repentance is this change of mind that's saying that, all right, I'm not going to fall into that thought pattern because I've seen the way that it's played out in history, right, with brokenness and pain and hardship and struggle, and and I'm going to let go of that by the power of God, and I'm going to turn, and I'm going to be sanctified. I'm going to head in a different direction. Now, the word sanctified, I I don't really know the Greek word that well. At least I can't pronounce it off the top of my head, um, but but it's a compound word as well. And the first half of it is, is "hagios," which is the Greek word for saints, right? Um, so it's this uh, like the Bible calls when it, when Paul writes letters in the Bible to the New, the New Testament church, he calls them the saints, right? Um, those who are who are holy, the God's holy people. Right? Now, he's not. Oh, man, I'm getting off tack. But he's not calling them saints because they've somehow gotten right. He's calling them saints because they've been purified by Jesus, right? They've been made holy by Jesus' death on the cross. So, um, so this word sanctification, it means to be kind of set aside for God's holy purposes, And so what we're seeing is that God has called us to repent, to let go of, to begin thinking differently, to let go of those thought patterns that ruled Adam and Eve and every human being since, right? To let go of that and to head in this different direction and be set apart for God's holy purposes. God's will for every human being is that we respond to Jesus, repent, and that we're sanctified, that we become like him. Now, if that's God's will for every human being, and God, our relationships, and God's will for our relationships cannot be siloed off from God's will for our lives, but rather it fits in that, then that means this about our relationships. It means that our relationships become tools that God uses to build or to develop Christ-like character in us. That our relationships become these tools tools that God uses to develop Christ-like character Within us, that is, God doesn't just give us our our relationships for our joy and pleasure. Although relationships should bring great joy and pleasure in your life. God created you to live in relationships. There are good gifts from God. God, They should bring about joy in your life. They should bring about fulfillment in your life. They should um, bring about some sense of uh, happiness in your life. That's God's will. That is part of God's will for your relationships. But what we see, though, is they fit into God's will for your life. that they got to be tools that God uses when they're lifted up and elevated and used for God's purposes, they got to be tools that God uses to build Christ-like character in us. And I think um, it's always important to talk about um, kind of this process of sanctification and, and reframe it um, in a biblical lens and not in the lens that we've uh, kind of come to understand it throughout history, and, th- and that's that, that um, we, don't, we don't become like Christ We don't become like Christ in order to earn God's favor. Sometimes that's the view um, that that we have in the church, right? That we are uh, that we are working hard to not cuss and working hard to, um, you know, not uh, steal or working hard not to tell uh, lies, even little lies, and if there's such thing as a little lie. And we're working hard not to um, be mean to people who irritate us. Like it's this idea that we are working hard not to do those things, and and this thought pattern kind of pervades the church, right? that we're working hard not to do that in order to get God's favor. And that's really, um, that's really kind of religion, right? That's, that's religion in a negative sense. That's uh, doing the right thing over and over again in order to appease God or to get God's favor. And so sometimes we view, like, becoming like Christ, this process of becoming like Christ being this thing that God gave me, this list of rules, right? I can read in the Bible and then some of the, the letters that Paul writes in the Scriptures, there's these rules and rules upon rules upon rules. And that, that I, as I read those rules... Right, I'm going, okay, this is what I got to do in order to earn God's favor. And the Bible's really showing us something different. Um, that we're not following those rules in order to earn our, God's favor. That's religion, doing the right thing in order to please the gods. Um, but rather, it's about this relationship that we're in with God, that we've been made possible for us to enter in with God because of what God did through Jesus Christ on the cross. And so God's wrath is already appeased right God's no longer wrathful right God's no longer angry with you right Jesus died on the cross in our place the Bible says this that it was God's will to crush him to crush, not us, right, to crush Jesus. It says that in the book of Isaiah, I think it's chapter 53 or 54 or 55, one of those three. Um, you can Google it. <laughs> but in, in Isaiah, it says, yeah, it's one of those three, I'm telling you. And if I'm not, it's somewhere in Isaiah. I'm 100% sure of that. Uh, that it's God's, it was God's will to crush Jesus in our place. In the same chapter where it says that, uh, it says, by his stripes we are healed, right? It's talking about Jesus coming as God's chosen one to take our place on the cross so the fullness of God's wrath will be poured out on him. And as it's poured out on him, we are now free from the fear of being um, crushed by the wrath of God. This is a powerful narrative and story because here's what happens. Because some people say, well, why did somebody have to die because of sin? Like, why, why was that necessary? Like, why, did, why couldn't have God just gone, like, if he's God, why couldn't God have gone, well, like humans have been living in rebellion since Adam and it's just about time I let that thing go. <laughs> like, like, I mean, nobody has to die because of this. Like, it's just about time I let that thing go. But what we see throughout all of Scripture is that God is so holy, that God is so pure, that God is so righteous that he can't let that thing go. And that if God were to let it go, he would be betraying his own character. He would be betraying his own nature He would ultimately be changing and would be a fickle God who's able to let go of and do things that ultimately don't make sense according to his character. But the Bible shows us that God is holy. God is righteous. God is wrathful even. God is jealous for us, the Bible says. God wants so deeply a relationship with us, but he's angry that humans keep turning away from him and that wrath had to be poured on somebody and Jesus became the perfect sacrifice. The God, has, the God of creation has now been appeased. Now we are free to stand before the God of creation with no fear, no, uh, no anxiety, no worry, no harm. Because we know that that God is filled with love and grace. And that we are now recipients of forgiveness. And he, is, as the Bible says, separated our sins as far as the east is from the west, right? So God has fully forgiven us. And here's what's so important for us to see is that God is using our relationships as a tool to develop Christ-like character in us. We're not doing that to earn God's favor. Like, we're not working hard to be like Christ to earn God's favor, but rather Christ is developing um, we are becoming more like Christ. Um, we're becoming more like Christ because we recognize that ultimate joy and pleasure can only be found in a relationship with him. Right We're recognizing that this ultimate joy, this ultimate pleasure, can only be found in a relationship with him. So it isn't repent to get in God's graces. But it's repent because I recognize that my joy as a human being is only fully found in Jesus Christ. Look at, um, I, I came across this quote this week um, by Tim Keller. Listen to what he says because he's talking about repentance. But he's talking about it through a different lens than we sometimes think about it. It's this lens of doing the right thing because God says. So listen to what he says. He says, consider how the gospel affects and transforms the act of repentance. In religion, that is that, that you know, that practice of doing the same thing over and over again again in order to get in God's uh, graces. The purpose of repentance is basically to keep God happy so that he will continue to bless you and answer your prayers. This means that religious repentance is selfish, is self-righteous, and bitter all the way to the bottom. But in the gospel, however, the purpose of repentance is to repeatedly tap into the joy of our union with Christ to weaken our impulses to do anything contrary to God's heart, right? You begin to see the difference there, right? And the repentance and religion, we're trying to let go. We're trying to force ourselves. We're even trying to manipulate ourselves to turn from sin and let go of it, to release it so that somehow we can get into God's graces and earn God's favor. And the Bible's saying that's not earnable. Like, you, there's not a price that you can pay for that, right? You you can't do it, but God has done it for you through Jesus Christ. Now you recognize that the fullness of your joy is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so you're not repenting bitterly, going, man, why do I have man, why not God want me to have fun, right? Or why can't but they get to, you know, what I mean we're not doing it bitterly like turning away from sin, but we're doing it with great joy, recognizing that together as a church, we are being connected with the God of creation. And I'll I'll be honest, I'll be the first one to say, sometimes I lose sight of that. Like, in the routine, right? In the religion, right? The doing the same things religiously, the over and over again, the repetition. I lose sight of the fact that when we stand here on Sunday mornings and we sing songs, that we are together singing to the God of creation. Like, we're not just, we're not just We're not just practicing, we're not just the choirs practicing songs, y'all like we are commun- we are connecting with the God of creation, the one who's all-powerful, the one who spoke things into existence. We are connecting with that God. When we sing songs together, we are being drawn towards that God for his holy purposes. We are being sanctified and being used in this world. When we walk out of these doors, we are leaving here, not as a people who did our religious duty by coming in here and doing church, we're leaving these doors as people who are now agents of God ambassadors of God representatives of God in this world who do God's will at least are being drawn into God's will for God's holy purposes which is that we respond to Jesus every moment of every day and that we become like him And our relationships then become tools that God uses to develop Christ-like character in us And we experience joy. Man, this is the hard part—the overwhelming nature of God's joy. Um, The (laughs) over—I can't even say it—the overwhelming nature of God's joy then pervades. Man, it it comes in tension with our relationship struggles and challenges. And it ultimately overcomes them because we know that even in the midst of relationship challenges and hardships and struggles, that God is building up something in us that is far greater and worth the suffering because the glory of what God is building up in us and doing in us is far beyond our imagination and Man, it's somehow, not somehow, but by God's power, the scriptures are challenging us. The Bible, God God himself is challenging us to stand in the hardships, the hard times of life and in the hardest places in our relationship, allowing the joy of the Lord to well up within us because we're fully confident that he's using those to bring about repentance and sanctification so that we ourselves can live and be more like Jesus Christ because that's God's will for every human being. I want to back up to just the one scripture that's John 3:16. Now I want you to hear what it says in John 3:16. It's a classic Bible verse that the church has recited and memorized, and it's just become probably the most popular verse ever uh, in the Bible. And it says this. It says, "For God so loved the world, that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life." For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God didn't send his son to condemn us or to make us feel guilty for our sins. He came into the world to free us so that even through this world and the hardship and struggle of this world, we might be saved. As we ourselves begin to look more like him. And so there's this question that um, this question that has to enter into all of our relationships. And that's what does God want to do in me through this relationship? Right? What does God want to do in me through this relationship? I remember when my wife and I, when we were preparing to get married. Um, we went to um, premarital counseling, uh, which, if you didn't do premarital counseling and you're married, now's a good time to do some post, not postmarital, what would it be? M- mid marital counseling. Some, some mid marital counseling. Uh, so uh, middle, middle of your marriage counseling. Because, I mean, it, it was, it was life changing to us, and we've always gone back. And, and I always say, like, if, if um, I mean, you can think, uh, it's Pastor Garmin at the church right up the street, Word of Faith. That's actually where we went. Yeah, our counseling, you can, you can thank him if you ever see him on the street um, because um, because we would, we just wouldn't be here today. I'll, I'll be honest, like we wouldn't be here today and our rela- relationship wouldn't have survived if it wasn't for some of the things um, that we discovered together in that process with someone mediating that relationship. And so for, for us going and doing premarital counseling, I mean, it was just a powerful, overwhelming thing. And one of the things that, that he always he taught us. He would always stress this. And there were, there, were t- there were times that we were, like, rolling our eyes. There were times where we were just like, whatever. This guy said to say. thing. I actually, um, man, I actually, like, I met with him recently. So, like, when, when, when we did our premarital counseling, um, so, so in his office, he had this little bowl of mints, those little Lifesaver mints. And I used to love those things. I used to buy them from like in bulk from, like, Walmart and places like that. And I, would, I was a student, and I would carry them in my backpack, and I would just pop those things. Like, was just, I just couldn't get enough of them. And so during, during our, our counseling, I, for me, I felt like the benefit was that I got to pop Lifesaver Mints all day long. And so I'm there, and I'm just popping one after another, one after, other, one after other. And so I met with him actually just recently, like within the year. And we were, we were up there, we were just sitting down, and he still had that same Bowl. Hopefully the mints had kind of been re- recycled, but he's still buying the mints. And I'm sitting there popping them, and I'm like, I'm going through like all, because he, he really influenced my life in a number of ways. Uh, and, and I'm going through all, I'm eating his mints, and I'm, going, I'm thanking him not just for his mints, but also for the ways that, that, he, that he influenced my life. Now, where was I going with that story? Oh, yeah, 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 he told me something. He told me something that, that I'll never forget. <laughs> all right, so he told me something that I'll never forget. Um, he told me, he told me this, right? When you face, um, challenges in your relationships, oftentimes our go-to is to, to fix the other person, right? It's their fault. It's what can they do better. And our hope then becomes, and this works for any relationship, our hope then becomes that they will change, that they will get their act together so that our relationship may be made right, and, and then we can just kind of get on with life together, right? Um, and that because I hope. But what he said was, you can't change anyone else. You can't will for them to change. You can't pray hard enough for them to change. Only God can change them. But what you do have control over is your own self, and you can change yourself. And so the very first question that you ask in your relationships when you're facing struggle or strife or hardship or tension is what does God want to do in my relationship? And I think that's the question that we have to ask in order to live in the sweet spot that God created us to live in. And that's what does God want to do in me through my relationships? Because the Bible teaches us this that God wants to reveal himself in us in our relationships. He wants the world and those that we get in relationship with to come to know his nature and his character, even in our relationships. Now, there's a verse that's classic for this, because this is particularly true uh, in the marriage relationship. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, there's a verse that talks about, um, it talks about marriage. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 uh, verse, verse, um, verse twenty-five. Listen to what it says. It says, "Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word." Right? It gets a little bit confusing there, but but let's focus in on that first verse. Right? Husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. That's saying husbands. Um, Be like Christ. (laughs) Don't give up yet, right? Be like Christ in your marriage. Now, what did Christ do, right? Even when the church was rebellious, he loved us. right? Even when his people uh, kept turning away from him, he pursued them relentlessly. Even when they committed the ultimate sin by turning to other gods, he forgave them. And he even went the extra mile and said, yo, you know what? I'll die for you, right? All right, so I, like, I'll, I, like, I'll, tur- I'll continue to pursue you, I'll continue to pursue you, I'll continue to pursue you. Then finally he's like, all right, I'll go give my life for you. And he never gave up. And then that verse says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. That is that husbands are to be, they are to be, for lack of a better way of putting it, and I guess maybe I'm looking for an easier way out of it because I'm a husband, uh, you are to be like Christ. And I don't know that that's possible without spending some time on your knees begging God to give you grace, give you strength, give you wisdom. There's another passage. There. It also applies to marriage, but I think this applies beyond marriage. In 1 in, um, uh, Peter uh, chapter, chapter, um, chapter 3, let me, let me get there. It talks about marriage relationships. First Peter um, chapter 3 verse 1. Listen to what it says. It says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husband, right? And, and, you know, it's just natural for us sometimes in our society when it says submit yourself to another person, right? It's like, oh, that's like a kind of a knee-jerk reaction. I like, I don't trust him that much. Uh, submit yourselves uh, to your own husband so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, right? So it's not saying you submit yourself to your husband because um, God has given him a Authority to tell you everything that's right for you to do in your life. But he's saying submit yourselves to your husband because in doing so, you begin to represent God in that relationship. And he may be, even though he may be evil, right, or maybe like, you know, not everything you dreamed of, um, that he may be won over, right, and that they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see uh, the purity and reverence of your life. Right, right here, this, these, these two passages, and we could go through Bible verse after Bible verse, but they're showing us that in our relationships, that even when they get challenging, that God has a greater purpose there. That God has a greater purpose in our relationships, and that they weren't just created for our pleasure and our joy but God is making us more like himself so that he can make himself known, so that he can reveal himself in our relationships. Now, I'm going to be honest. This, um, the one word that I kept thinking about this week is humility. This requires a posture of humility. Because pride is that way of thinking um, that says, well, I'm right, and I'm just going to dig my heels in because I'm doing what's right. Pride is that mindset that says, well, I deserve better than this, and so I'm going to dig my heels in as I pursue something and get rid of this relationship and go on to the next. Or pride is that thing within us that's more concerned with being right in an argument and not concerned with the wellness and wholeness of the relationship. And so just like beating your head upon a wall, you're just digging yourself into your being right instead of saying, how can I be like God in this relationship? How is God transforming me in this relationship? How is God using it as a tool through which I'm becoming more like Christ. You know, there's some Bible verses, and I won't go through all of them, um, but there's some Bible verses uh, that talk about uh, the world of pride in our world and what God thinks about pride. Look at Psalm 10 verse, verse 4, and I should be on the screen. It says, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. As long as there's Pride in our lives, as long as we're digging our heels in, as long as we're convinced that we're right, as long as we're not willing to change, right? There's no room for God. Another verse in Proverbs chapter, chapter eight. Listen to this, and this is kind of the voice of wisdom speaking. Proverbs likes to do that. It's the wisdom, it was wisdom, what's called wisdom literature, uh, and so it's the voice of wisdom, which ultimately is the voice of God. So listen to what it says in verse, verse twelve. It says. Um, I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I, this is wisdom speaking, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech, right? So God hates pride. God hates arrogance, right? If you look over just one page in my Bible, a couple of chapters in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2, listen to what it says. It says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, But with humility comes wisdom, right? And so it's showing us that God hates pride, that God's against pride, because ultimately pride pushes us away from what God wants to do and digs our heels in and doing what we want to do. In James chapter 4 and 6, and actually in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it says the same thing. It says, God opposes the proud, right? That's like, um, talk about an unequal fight, right? God opposes the pride, proud, right? That God sets himself up against those who are prideful. And so if God's going to use our relationships as a tool through which we become more like him, we have to reject pride every time. We have to recognize pride first um, in that persistent pursuit of our own way. And we have to reject it and pursue the way and will of God. And I, I think there's three questions that we can ask to help us understand if we are um, embracing humility in our relationships. The first one is, and, and you, can, you might want to write these down and you may want to just use this as kind of a way of um, questioning yourself uh, whenever you get into that place of relationship tension. But, but the first one is, am I humble enough to hear God? Right? Am I humble enough to hear God? Because who hasn't been in a relationship or an argument with somebody and, and the person that you're arguing with is going, you're not hearing me. Nine times after 10, if you're not hearing them, you're not hearing God either, right? You're concerned more with being right, more with getting your way, more with your voice being heard, because that pride within, and this is common to all of us, that pride is the sin that lies, um, um, that that is is active and and um, destructive in the church, but is largely ignored because we have these caricatures of pride that look like um, somebody with their chest puffed out and walking around with these massive egos. And we go, always go, "Well, oh, that's not me. i do like, I'm going to struggle with pride. But, but pride is any time that we're not listening, and we find ourselves speaking and acting more than we're listening for the voice of God, making decisions more than we are seeking advice, that's pride creeping in, and so the first question is: Am I humble enough to hear from God? Second question: I think we always got to ask is that is: uh, Am I humble enough to change or alter my approach? Right? Am I willing to do something? differently because here's the thing right you may be doing all the right things right you may have you may be having the, you know saying the right things in a conversation you may be really genuinely um, making an effort to make things right you may be acting out of um, the best um, knowledge that you know how right um and and, and you may be going wait I, I didn't do anything wrong like this this shouldn't be I shouldn't be in this kind of this space in this relationship because I did everything right um but there's the question, right, because maybe you did do everything right, but maybe God is challenging you to change your approach. You know, it's that, you know, that, that, that question, like, you know, oh man, there was, there was this acronym at some point, and I know I won't remember it, but it, it's about like, you know, don't have these, you know, difficult conversations when you're tired, like when you're hungry, um, when you're whatever else the other ones are. You can look it up. I'm sure it's on Google. Dr. Google will give you the best relationship advice. Um, <clears throat> but it's out there. But, but it's, it's this idea of, like, when is, a, when is the best timing? What's the best approach? So instead of going, hey, this isn't working, like, am I humble enough to go, what, what's, my, what's my next move then? Because God values relationships, created me for them. He prioritizes them, created me to live healthily in, into them. So I'm not just going to give up here, but I'm, I'm making my next move. Like, I'm changing my approach. Am I humble enough to change my approach? Third thing I think is always so important for us to ask is, am I humble enough for God to mold my character? Am I humble enough for God to mold my character? Character has to do with the things we do in our relationship. And your character ultimately, although sometimes in our lives we get it so deeply intertwined with our identity, that it begins to feel like losing ourselves when our character begins to change. And it's really, no, it really is losing yourself. but it's losing yourself to gain Christ. There are times where we dig our heels in. Well, I've always been a person, all my friends have known since high school that I just don't take no mess. (laughs) That can change. And it may feel like you're losing part of your identity. Oh, well, my friends have always known me to be independent. I'm not dependent on a man or I'm not dependent on this job. I will walk right out of here because I am this independent person, right? And that feels like, I mean, it feels like part of our identity, but maybe Christ is changing that in you. And maybe he's placing you in a place where you do live better in community, where you are forced to depend on others, and you're forced to stick it out and get it right. And all that comes from this posture of humility. You see, we always have to ask ourselves in our relationships, am I I allowing the nature of God, his majesty, and how holy and righteous, his attributes, he is, Um, his knowledge, like am I allowing all of that to crush my pride so that I can be humble and present myself in every environment, in every relationship as one who is open to hear, open to alter my approach, open to let God change my character. You know, whenever we talk about relationships, and here's, here's the thing, um, and I, I fill it up here as well, is that we begin to look at Scripture and we look back and we can see, we can see the, we can, and we can see, and we can see a lot of things clearly in retrospect. We can see the struggles of our past we can see mistakes that we've made. We can see things that we wish we would have done differently. And there's this, man, there's this tendency for this overwhelming sense of guilt to kind of wash over us or cover our heads where we feel like we're drowning in what we've done wrong or the, the broken relationships that were a result of Not just decisions that we've made, but decisions that we made as we own up to it and take responsibility. And we we just are kind of flooded with the pain of, of being humans, living in broken relationships. And the Bible is always pointing us to the fact that there's grace and that the guilt is not necessary. That there's grace. And God's going, I know you're looking back and you're going, well, I could have or I wish I would have or I wish I would would have handled this differently. There's grace. God isn't holding it over your head. God isn't saying, well, you should have done better and if you would have done better, I would have been glorified and uh, just frustrated with you because Yeah, you had such an opportunity. God's not doing that. God's saying there's grace, and in my grace, there is power to learn from the past and do differently in the future. That's the power of God's grace. He's not like us because we, I mean, you got that forgive and forget. I mean, we don't forget. Um, God forgets, that God lets it go, genuinely, and he embraces us, even in our flawed selves. He grabs hold of us and walks with us into our new selves, and all that was secured on the cross. You know, this Sunday morning, like every Sunday morning, we have an opportunity to come to these four tables where we're reminded of what God has done through Jesus Christ, which is the ultimate act of grace, where he stood at a moment of time and said, I know all the wrong that humans have done. I know all the wrong that humans will do. I know all the wrong that's going on in this world right now, but I'm about to die for all that so that it all could be forgiven, so that it all could be washed away so that I won't be this wrathful, angry God that's holding it over their heads, but I'll be this loving, accepting, grace-filled God who's fully drawing my people into my own identity so that in the most difficult of spaces, in their relationships, where Satan is attacking them the hardest, they will be representatives of me, and that I will get the ultimate glory because what, I, what because of what I do, what God does in those spaces. Let's pray. God, we, um, we do give you thanks this morning that we get to come into this place and sing songs of praise and worship to you. Man, God, declaring that our lives belong to you. They're not our own. They belong to you. And God, here we are, we can be in your presence without fear of rejection because of your grace. We can be in your presence and experience full acceptance because of your grace. And in your grace, we can become more like Christ, knowing that we're not doing it to earn your favor, but we're doing it because we know that the ultimate joy and pleasure is found in you. Because we know that our hearts are restless, oh God, until they find their rest in you. So God, please help us to rest fully in you in this moment. So that in you and through us, you can make this world new. in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.